Hi, this is Pastor Robert Blanchard from Lansing First United Methodist Church here in Lansing, Michigan. I just want to take a moment to thank you for checking out our sermon podcast. And if you want to learn more about what we do here at Lansing First, or you want to support us in our mission of going deep, reaching out, and loving Lansing, you can do so online at lansingfirst.org. Thanks. Our third scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. Who has believed what we have heard, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity. And as one from whom others hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him of no account. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people." They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. When you make his life an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. Through him the will of the Lord shall prosper. Out of his anguish he shall see light. He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The word of God for the people of God. Author of life, we thank you for your word and we ask that your spirit would be with us this morning to transform us in heart and mind and soul. Amen. So last week we heard the story of Job, the moment that God was revealed in the whirlwind to Job, and next week we will return to Job to see Job's response to being confronted by God. So you may wonder why we have taken a detour back into the book of Isaiah this week. Well, there are a few answers to that question, the most practical of which is that this is where the lectionary leads us this week. However, a more theological answer is that we are seeing the other side of the paradox of God's nature this week. 
And another theological answer is that we're seeing some of the themes of this sermon series that has been bringing us through ordinary time starting to come full circle. So let's start with this answer about God's nature, and then we'll conclude with the bigger themes. As I said last week, we saw God in all of the transcendent glory that God possesses. From within the whirlwind, God reminded Job that it was God who set the sun and the stars in motion, that it was God who laid the foundations of the earth, that it was God who separated the waters from the land. All of this was to remind Job and us of our place within creation, to remind us that we are not the masters of the universe nor the center of creation. Isaiah's prophecy this morning pulls us back to the opposite pole of God's being. Here we see a foretelling of Jesus Christ who will bear punishment, scorn, and humiliation on behalf of all humanity. Here we see God as an immediate, imminent reality that is willing to suffer for our sins. And as I reflected on the connection between God, the transcendent creator, and God, the imminent suffering servant, my mind was drawn to the showings of Julian of Norwich. I'm pretty sure that I've mentioned Julian to you before, but if you don't remember who she was, let me remind you. Julian was an English mystic who lived in the 14th century, and in May of seven. Of 1373, at the age of 30, Julian fell deathly ill. And as she lay on what everyone thought would be her deathbed, she received a series of revelations from God. She would make a miraculous recovery and later write down her visions. And those recordings of her visions are actually the earliest written documents by a woman that we still have in the English language. Over the course of her life, she would refine her understanding of what had been revealed to her as she lived the life of an anchoress, confined voluntarily to a cell attached to one of the churches. And the reason that her writings came to my mind as I reflected on this text is because much of her revelation is centered on Christ's crucifixion. As she lay on the verge of death, her eyes were firmly fixed on a crucifix, that had been brought to her bed by a priest. And as she stared at the body of Christ on the crucifix, she began to receive visions of deep compassion for the suffering of Jesus, as well as the suffering of his mother Mary, who stood at the foot of the cross watching her son die. So let me read for you a little of what Julian saw. She writes, After this, Christ showed me a part of his passion close to his death. I saw that dear face, as if it were dry and bloodless with the pallor of death, and then more deathly pale in in anguish, and then turning blue as death advanced, and afterwards a darker blue as death took more hold on his flesh. For all the pains that Christ suffered in his body were visible to me in the blessed face as far as I could see it, and especially in the lips. There I saw these four colors which before had appeared to me fresh and ruddy, full of life and lovely to see. This was a grievous change to see this deep dying, and also, as it seemed to me, the nose shriveled and dried up, 
This long torment made it seem to me as if he had been dead for a week, continually suffering the last throes, and it seemed to me that the drying of Christ's flesh was the greatest pain and the last of his passion. A short bit later, she continues on, writing, And yet, in all this time that Christ was present to me, I felt no pain except for Christ's pains. Then I thought to myself, I little knew what pain it was I asked for, because it seemed to me that my pains exceeded bodily death. I thought, is any pain in hell like this pain? And in my reason I was answered that despair is greater, because that is spiritual pain, but there is no bodily pain greater than this. How could any pain be greater to me than to see him suffer who is my whole life all my bliss and all my joy. Here I truly felt that I loved Christ so much more than myself that I thought it would have been a great relief to me to have suffered bodily death. Here I saw a part of the compassion of Our Lady St. Mary, for Christ and she were so united in love that the greatness of her love caused the greatness of her pain. For in so much as she loved him more than anyone else, her sufferings surpassed those of all others. And so all his disciples and all who truly loved him suffered pains greater than their own bodily dying. For I am sure from how I feel myself that the least of them loved him more than they did themselves. Here I saw a great affinity between Christ and us. For when he was in pain, we were in pain, and all creatures capable of suffering pain suffered with him. And this was the pain of those who did not know him, that all created things, sun and moon, withdrew their service, and so they were all left in sorrow at that time. And so those who loved him suffered pain for love, and those who did not love him suffered pain because the comfort of all creation failed them. Now, I know that was kind of a lengthy selection to read, but it, it speaks to the heart of Julian's revelations. In her near-death suffering, the suffering of Jesus' death was revealed to her, and as she experienced the pain of Christ, she felt that there could be no greater physical pain than that which she was experiencing through him until it was revealed to her that the greater pain is the spiritual pain of those who despair because they do not know the love of Christ. But what's interesting for us is that those who did know the love of Christ were not spared from spiritual pain. Their love for Christ caused them to suffer greatly as they experienced his death as well. Now, in the American church, there's sometimes a tendency to want Jesus to only be about the good vibes. We want to skip past the crucifixion and the cross and focus only on the joy of the resurrection. But the resurrection has no meaning apart from the cross. The joy of Easter has no joy without the sorrow of Good Friday. 
Jesus' death upon the cross is a point of intersection for cosmic history. It's the point where the imminent person of Jesus and the transcendent God experience all the pain and suffering of all of creation in an instant. In Christ's suffering and death, our God is united with every single one of us in every moment of our own pain and of our own suffering. God is a God of love, and the way that that love is made known is by sharing in our pain. So let's move now to some of those bigger themes that have been at work in the course of our sermon series. In Christ, we see something radically different in our eternal priest and king from the leadership of David and Solomon as priestly kings of the earth. Where the leaders of this earth cause others to suffer on their behalf, our perfect king creates hope through suffering on behalf of others. As we moved through the first half of this sermon series, we saw what it looks like when humanity moves further and further away from God. But now we are seeing what it looks like when God moves closer and closer to humanity. I've said that one of the things that this series is doing for us is helping us to see how God's nature and our human natures interact with each other. And here we are reminded that When we allow ourselves to know Jesus Christ, we are returned closer to that image of God in which we have been created. We are reminded that the image of God is an image of one who shares our suffering with us. This is literally what it means to have compassion, to suffer with. So as we go back into the world and as we turn back to Job next week, let us reflect on what it means to be suffering servants like our Savior. Let us remember that our faith is not simply about an abstract joy that's experienced in a vacuum. Our faith is a steadfast hope that perseveres through any suffering. Our faith is rooted in solidarity with all who suffer and in the suffering of our Lord. So do not turn from your suffering, but know that Christ is with you and has already shared your pain. Amen. Please pray with me. God, who is transcendent and imminent, Let our hearts never forget the pain that you bore for us on the cross. Let our bodies never forget that you call us to a life of equal suffering in the name of serving others. And let our souls never forget the love that drove you to give of yourself so that we might give of ourselves. Amen.